part of the training is learning to die well, which is another way of maybe saying learning to allow God to enter in and inhabit our grief with us and continue to find out that He's capable, uh, that He He can do things that we we can't do. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Matthew Clark is a singer-songwriter, a podcaster, and an essayist. He's exceedingly thoughtful and well-read, and all that thinking and well-reading makes its way into everything he makes and every conversation, as you're about to find out when you listen to this episode. Matt's most recent project is an album called Only the Lover Sings and a companion book by the same title, a compilation of essays by various writers inspired by the songs on the album. Matthew Clark, I'm mighty happy to have you on the Habit Podcast. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, by the time this uh, podcast episode publishes, uh, you will have recently released an album, which is the first of a trilogy, the Well Trilogy, but the album, this album is called Only the Lover Sings. Yeah, that's right. And there's also a book releasing with it. Yeah, it's a book slash album. Both at the same time. The uh, do you have to get a special permit to do that, or can you just? Yeah, I did. I did. Mississippi does allow you to get permits for things like this. <laughs> That's good. Thank goodness I live in Mississippi. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> One of the more regulated states, you really would be in trouble. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, the and the book is a collection of essays, not just by you. Yeah, that would nobody would want to read that. Right. So I figured I'd get some help. <laughs> <laughs> I would read it, by the way, but but okay. that doesn't mean there'd be a large audience, just just me. Uh, yeah, so, so you recruited writer friends to help. Yeah. I love something you said in the introduction that uh, a body with one part isn't a body. Yeah. I, so, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have just one part. <laughs> <laughs> it made me think about that. that uh, what What's the... Um, the C.S. Lewis book, uh, part of one of the the space tri- it's it's the space trilogy book that's not set in space where oh, there's just a head that hit oh yeah that, that hideous strength that is so creepy I've actually been <laughs> listening to that uh, recently yeah I think if that were ever made into a movie it would actually be a terrifying movie yeah it really would be yeah um, but we're we're getting off track here we we, we were yeah. talking but yeah the, <laughs> We went from collaboration to uh, to the disembodied head. head from from this hideous. Getting, this getting hideous really fast. We got to get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's how here's how I'm going to get us back on track. Uh, why is this album and book called "Only the Lover Sings"? Yeah, so um, I loved this little book that uh, uh, Joseph Pieper wrote called Only the Lover Sings. And then I found out that the title is actually a quote from St. Augustine. Um, And there's a lot in this book about um, what he calls contemplation, which is, um, uh, I think we might've talked about this a little bit last time. The word temple is tucked into the word contemplation, contemplation. And this is where you go to gaze upon uh, the deity who inhabits the temple. And, but he says in a Christian context, 
uh, we've been shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And for the Christian, our, our, we're always moving as pilgrims towards the beatific vision, which is the joy set before us, which is the face of Jesus. And, um, and he says that if we're, um, but, but there are all these things that, that uh, interrupt that pilgrimage towards the face of Jesus. He's always inviting us and calling us to turn our faces to his face. Mm-hmm. But that's also really scary because what we've been, what we've gotten used to thinking uh, are the lies about God, that he doesn't love us, that, you know, it's the original, it's the, the way back lie yeah. all the way back to, um, you know, the garden, which is, you know, he doesn't really love you as much as he says he does. In mm-hmm. fact, you need to take matters into your own hands and, and yeah. get out of here before it's too late, you know? Yeah. And, um, but here is Jesus saying, turn towards me. I'm, I'm trying to make eye contact with you. Mm. Um, and, but it's so scary. And there are all these things that get in our way. But if we finally do uh, repent, you know, which is to turn in the opposite direction and face him, uh, we're going to be surprised. This is, yeah. this is the big, the big gospel joke is that yeah. God has, like got a big grin on his face actually. <laughs> And you never would have guessed. Yeah. That he, uh, and and I love this, uh, the benediction that shows up a lot in the scriptures about, um, you know, make the light of your face to shine upon us, you know. Yeah. And um, a, a shining face is a smiling face. It's a glad face. Yeah. You know, Lord, would you smile on us? We need to see your smile. And so the one... The only the one who the one who sings is the one who takes that risk in spite of all that resistance, in spite of all that fear and deception, and, and just turns for a second to to see what the face of God might actually look like. Mm. And is is totally blown away and surprised to find this glad, shining face that calls us beloved. And so um this album is built around the woman at the well and that particular instance of this whole idea where there's this woman who has every reason in the world to assume that there's no way God could ever smile at her. Yeah. But by the end of that conversation, she sees something she didn't expect to see and it changes her whole life. And she goes and singing is kind of a, uh, a, a, a term that, that captures any kind of loving response to God's mm. love. Mm. So she goes into the town proclaiming she's singing. She, she gets a new song about life is better than I thought it could be. Yeah. It's, it's, this man knew everything that I that I ever did, which is a strange thing for her to go back and say, great news, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this man knows everything I ever did. All of my deepest, darkest secrets have been revealed and it's great. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to us. We can't, unless, unless what we find out is that the one who sees it all, the context of that seeing is belovedness. Yeah. That's the only thing that could make sense of a statement like that. Yeah. I, I want to talk for a minute about if, if I had the insight to, to like initiate that quote 
I would have been tempted to say only the beloved sings instead of only the lover sings. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, why is it? Because uh, it is the one who discovers themselves to be beloved. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe he's talking about the uh, that that initiative. Like, well, there is also this sense of. Um, there's an epistemologist, Esther Lightcap Meek, and she wrote a book called Loving to Know. Okay. As loving in order to know. Yeah. And the idea is that everything God has made is, um, is in some sense declaring his glory and his love to us. Like, like Psalm, is it 19 or 119? I always forget. 19. 19. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything is declaring there is no you know, no place on earth where their language is not heard. But unless you attend to those things, you will, you will totally miss that declaration. Mm. Yeah. And so she talks about how you have to actually turn towards something and care about it, Mm. wait for it in order for it to um, have an opportunity to reveal itself. And even Jesus is like that. Jesus is asking for us to show him hospitality, to show him care and attention. And the sort of result of that is that we find out the truth about our belovedness. Mm-hmm. So it is, a, it is a weird thing. Jesus is loving us first. He's initiated that. But he's also asking and inviting us to, to love him yeah. in order to find out that how much we are loved. And then that just creates a sort of, yeah, a virtuous cycle. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's right. The uh, understanding that you're beloved is how you become a lover, mm-hmm. and then you're ready to sing. Oh, Chesterton said something about Beauty and the Beast, and he said, "Beauty and the Beast." Do you remember this? It's a fairy tale about how a thing must be loved in order to be lovable. Yeah. Yeah, thing he loved first in order to be lovable. Yeah, and he he, he says uh, something similar uh, about Rome. He said, you know, Rome people men didn't love Rome because Rome was great. Rome was great because men loved her. Oh yeah, yeah. Which also sounds like Texas, right? <laughs> I just drove through Texas last week. Well, y- you go to Texas and you go, wait a minute, this is what's supposed to be so great. <laughs> But the fact that Texans love it so much is what makes Texas great because it's not the, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> but, but if you're not from Texas, you don't get it, right? You, you go from, from Tennessee you know, and you go see Texas, you go, I, I don't understand why, what, what's supposed to be so great about this. <laughs> I mean, except, I mean, the, the food, I, I will, I will oh, hand it to the Texans on the food. But, but the barbecue is, that's the real deal. Yeah. Um, and I lived in Memphis for a while, so <laughs> I'm not getting in trouble for that, but yeah, right. Uh, okay. This, this is a, a project that grew out of suffering, personal yeah. suffering on, on, by you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your introduction, you, you tell, um, you tell a story of, of you know that you went went through a divorce years uh-huh. ago, um, and and you know 
that the the suffering of that experience mm-hmm. um in some ways this project is a well here you you pick it up <laughs> i don't know where to yeah. well it, it going back to the woman at the well yeah scene, like that i don't know if you've ever experienced where a certain passage or scene or image just uh not because you're making any particular effort, but just I feel like because the Lord keeps keeps bringing it up, it just I felt like that story I couldn't get away from it. Mm-hmm. I would I would go somewhere and listen to a concert or I'd watch a movie. Like it just it just popped up everywhere, and um, mm-hmm. and seeing and learning more about that woman's suffering in in multiple marriages. Mm-hmm. That, that had failed or um and then that became very uh important for me because that this was i mean i had um, suffered you know whatever griefs but this was kind of my first massive explosion you know this thing yeah. that just, everything fell apart and uh and it was really difficult to understand or make any sense of my own life at that yeah. point. It was a really scary season uh, and just such a disorienting season. Um, and um, and the, the process of getting to this project was very slow. I mean, it was a, you know, a six or seven year process of, um, of, of really a really a very deep grief that I had never, I never could have imagined, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, uh, you're, you quote one of your friends. um, And I'm going to, I'm going to get this wrong. This is, I'm not quoting you. I'm paraphrasing, but but one of your friends said, your your griefs are the knots in the otherwise smooth rope of your soul. That yeah. that somebody else who's just trying to hang on, may, those knots give them something to hang on to. I, maybe mm-hmm. you can help me with that. Yeah, that's that, uh, my my friend Brian. Um, he's a counselor now, actually, up in Michigan. But he that was a really helpful image to me because, um, and that, that that is actually a part of a song that's on a on an album called "Come Tell Your Story," mm-hmm. which was an album that that somewhat came out of that season or was, I was just trying to keep moving. And, um, and so that song is, I forget the name of the song actually, but anyway, that image of, you know, you feel like all knotted up inside. You Mm -hmm. feel like everything is just chaotic. And, but he said, um, he said, actually that's going to wind up in the end being, something that uh, can be a blessing because mm-hmm. if there's somebody else drowning and you hand them a slick, smooth rope, it's going to be hard <laughs> for them to get a grip on it. And actually your sufferings are going to become these opportunities, things that people can grab a hold of and it'll make it easier for them to, to hoist them out of their mm-hmm. own kind of overwhelm, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I had another, well, I think, I think this is a little bit maybe related to the, the log in the eye in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. I, I I thought for a long time that that was a kind of a snarky thing. Jesus was mm-hmm. saying, like, yeah. 
you know, like you got a big log in your eye jerk, you know, but I think, <laughs> think kind of what he's saying is as if you'll pay attention to the, the hurt in your own life and really grieve it well and really make real contact with it and not try to avoid it by blaming other people and transferring that to everybody else. If you'll deal with what is right there, you'll get a really close up look at logs. Hmm. You will learn a whole lot about logs as you pull that thing out of your eye <laughs> and you'll get like this master class in grief and empathy and compassion. And it will actually help you. You really won't be a lot of good to anybody else until you actually um, in, face the, the, the hurt in your own heart. Hmm. But then you'll be, you'll be equipped in a different way. Yeah. So I think that's really an encouraging passage, not so much a, like he's getting on to you, you know, <laughs> you, uh, you, you say you decided you have decided that it's worth the risk of to- tossing that knotty rope out. Mm-hmm. Um, if it helps someone else discover that they're not as alone as they thought. Yeah. What, what's the risk with, of, I mean, I, I may be stating the obvious. I mean, I, the, the answer may be obvious is what, what the risk of, of throwing that, that knotted rope of your own grief mm-hmm. out there. But maybe not. But what are the risks? What are the... Yeah, well, it's just... Uh, we are built to be loved and enfolded into a family and to be welcomed and cared for and enjoyed. And I think when we really admit the places that we're very broken and the things that make us most afraid and admit that those things are not out there somewhere abstracted, mm-hmm. that they're very real and present within ourselves. Um, Rich Mullins said, my, these scars move within me, you know? Mm. And uh, I think that, that that sort of puts at risk all of those things that we really do legitimately need that welcome and, and care and, um, feeling of belonging and, and loved. And so it, it feels like if I really look at this log, I'm, everything, you know, everything's going to go away. All the, all the things I need are going to be gone. No, nobody's going to want to be around me. I don't want to be around me right now. You yeah. Know? Right. And, and I wouldn't blame other people if they didn't want to be around me. And it feels really scary. Um, but I think what what really helped was I realized that some of the people I loved the most and felt the most kinship with were people who had opened up and been really vulnerable mm-hmm. and who had pioneered that kind of um, honesty. Mm-hmm. And that, that gave me some courage to, to feel like that I should do that too, or I, I needed to do that. Um, how has that kind of honesty shaped your creative process, your output? <laughs> um, I mean, it, to, to sort of bring this around to creative work. Uh-huh. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the one of the really wonderful results of um, of going to those places that are so scary. It, again, it's this whole idea of the surprising 
smile of God is that when you when you begin to enter into those places, as miserable as it is, people just come out of the woodwork, mm-hmm. and they and you find out that you aren't alone. People say mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this uh, you know, I, I went through this or I went through this," and people start showing up. Not everybody shows up. You do lose some people mm-hmm. inevitably. I don't want to be you know sugarcoat that. Um, but people do show up in a way that is surprising. And you find out that um, lot, everybody's carrying weird, hard stuff. And um, I was actually just having a conversation last night about Jesus on the cross and Jesus as the pioneer or the Hebrews says he's the author and perfecter, but sometimes it says he's the, the pioneer Hmm. Of our faith, and and he's the one who go he he blazes the trail, which means yes. he walks ahead and he nails up little, you know, metal discs <laughs> yes. so you can know where the path yeah. is. But one of the things he does is on the cross, he's saying, "I know it is terrifying for you to face this stuff, and so I'm just I'm going to do it first. Hmm. I'm going to do it for you." And so the cross is, it looks like this big emblem of condemnation on us. And in a sense it is, but in another sense, it's Jesus just saying, look, I'm willing to be with you no matter where you are in the very worst place. I'm willing to accompany you. And uh, that's what I found was that, that when I got to that worst spot, um, Jesus had beat me there. He was already there. (laughs) And that, that changed my creative process in the sense that, as I went along, I felt like maybe I don't have to be alone in this, and maybe I could actually involve more people. Hmm. And maybe that actually is the pattern of reality. Maybe that, maybe there's something here that I, I've always thought wasn't possible, and it is. Maybe this is the pattern of reality, you said. Mm-hmm. Can you tease that out a little bit, the pattern of reality? Yeah. Um, well, so Jesus be, this all sounds like, you know, theological abstracting, but I don't mean it like that. I mean, like this is real in that Jesus is the logos, right? He is the rationale of the universe, of the cosmos that he created. And so if, we're, if we trace everything back to the original family of the Trinity, um, Jesus is not doing something on the cross that's, in some sense, exceptional to his character. Mm-hmm. Doing, he's doing exactly what he always does. He's doing the same kind of thing that he's done forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and the, there's a term, the kenosis, the emptying, the emptying out. And there's this thing, the pattern in the Trinity is that the Father is always emptying out to the Son and the Spirit, and the Son is always emptying himself out pouring himself out for the father and the spirit. And so they're always doing this. And so what's happening at the cross is just the pattern of reality. It's just the way God does things. And um, it's actually natural. Everything we have gotten used to is unnatural. Hmm. And he's the way things really are. Yeah. Yeah. And that the, the pouring out in, in our economies, we come to think of if I'm pouring out, I won't have anything left. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I if I 
with if I hold on to things, I'll have more. And you're saying, seems to me, one of the things you're saying is the pattern of reality is no. When you pour out, there's there's more where that came from. Superabundance. Jeremy Begbie uses the word superabundance, and he mm-hmm. says we live in a in a mentality of we we mistake the pattern of reality as a pattern of scarcity, mm-hmm. and that we're hoping we have enough, and I got to get mine, and you better get yours. Yeah. And um, and when the pattern of reality is actually superabundance, um, that there is, it's not. I have a friend, uh, my friend, I just visited in Texas, Bubba, and uh, he. He said, you know, I don't love, I don't, he has six children and he says, I don't love them. You know, (laughs) isn't divided by six. He said, I love each one of them 100%. Yeah. Like there's not, it's not a problem of there's, you got to have just enough pie. Mm -hmm. You might not get any pie. (laughs) Uh, There's actually plenty. There's more than enough. And um, Stanley Hauerwas wrote this book, Letters to His Godson. Uh, the character of virtue is the name of the book. And w- this phrase he repeats throughout the book, he says, um, in Christ, we, we worry about running out of time. He said, but in Christ, we, we have given, been given all the time in the world. Yeah. We worry about running out of kindness. But he said, in Christ, there is endless kindness. Hmm. You will never run out of kindness or grace or mercy, all these things. And, and uh, it never occurred to me until you've said that, but it's really helpful to know the difference between what we can run out of and what we can't run out of. Mm-hmm. Right? Like willpower, for instance, and yeah. strength. I mean, you know, my, I, I do run out of strength and willpower. Yeah. And we value willpower. And, and even from a, you know, creative when we're talking about creative work, there's always this this balance between you actually do have to keep yourself at the desk and, and keep working. Um, there's a there's something like willpower involved in that, mm-hmm. or well, discipline, which is not the same thing as willpower. I guess maybe discipline is you put discipline in place, so you don't have to put you don't have to rely on willpower, perhaps. That's that's true, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so. There are things we're not going to work this out, and I we don't have enough time to, to to work this all the way out. I'm just it's an idea that's just at this moment occurring to me. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to know what are the things that you can run out of, and don't depend on those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've been listening to um, I've been driving a lot the last couple of weeks, and I was listening to um, Kate Kate Bowler. Are you familiar with Kate Bowler? Just I know the name. Yeah, I, I, people talk like she's just amazing. She is. Uh, I haven't listened to a lot and I haven't read her books, but I've listened to several interviews. But she was talking about limitations, mm-hmm. about how we have kind of the American dream of I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can make any dream a reality. And she said, you know, that's not really true. Mm-hmm. Like we have very real limitations. We have uh, only so much energy. We have to sleep. You know, it's built. We have to eat. We have uh, we have some very basic indicators of our our human limitations. Um, we have brokennesses that I, I drove by some guys on the side of the road yesterday, who who were um, you know begging, and I thought, like, there are a lot of reasons you could end up in that situation. It might be because 
you you drove everybody in your life away, you know. Yeah. Or, or it could be, but I've met people who have ended up in poverty because of really weird circumstances that they didn't have any control over. They got some kind of crazy illness and it just knocked them out or yeah. whatever, you know, or there was injustice. So we there are all kinds of limitations we have to deal with. Yeah. And that was part of the difficulty for me. It was going, experiencing the divorce was, was a reality check in that sense hmm. that I, I could never have imagined how insane life could become, how, yeah. how unfamiliar my own life could become to me. Yeah. And, and once that, that had uh, happened, it was very difficult for me to, to know what could possibly be next. How, where do I go from here? I don't understand anything anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you phrased it in your intro introductory essay. My own story had become unrecognizable to me. And so you've got this book that you were reading and now suddenly all the pages are blank. All, all the, all yeah. the, the future pages are blank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I uh, wrote about that in a, in a song called you're going to be okay, but like feeling like you're, my, I was just, my face was smushed up against a wall of black and I just mm. I couldn't imagine or see anything beyond that point. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about that introductory essay uh, to uh, Only the Lover Sings is that what starts out that the image of the blank, the blank pages, which is an image of despair early in the essay mm-hmm. becomes an image of hope at the end. Yeah. But because there will be surprises to, yeah, to quote Drew, Drew Miller. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that blankness, the fact that, that we can't read these pages that are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that, that predictability of the future is a, um, it's one of those, I mean, it's a, it's a lie, right? I mean, you've been talking about you, who knows why yeah. our life is going to be thrown into turmoil. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can't solve. This is something that the next album is about. It's about how after this encounter happens uh, and it's wonderful and it's great and r- things really do change because now you are in Christ and it doesn't fix everything. <laughs> yeah. You wonder why you're like, why but that was supposed to solve it, all the problems right now. I should be able to get back on track with my original plan of understanding and planning and figuring out my life. You know, it's yeah. like, no, actually, <laughs> actually what you've done is you've, you've, you have, you've entered into a, a different region of life where you're called to trust and keep faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that is actually ultimately a hopeful thing. Uh, back to Kate Bowler, she said, I think hope is God has dropped an anchor in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we know about the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, and that gives us hope. So maybe the last page isn't blank, but there are a lot of pages between here and there. <laughs> <laughs> that are blank. Yeah. And you got to hang in there. But I think the experience too of very real grief, very real loss. Uh, um, there, are, there are a billion species of death that mm-hmm. we will experience in this life, 
And that's part of the training. Part of the training is learning to die well, and which is another way of maybe saying learning to allow God to enter in and inhabit our grief with us and, and, and continue to find out that he's capable, that he, he's not asleep mm-hmm. on the job, uh, that he, he can do things that we, we can't do, and that our limitations then become, become these kind of bright spots or like those yeah. pages become signs of hope. In him, in the context of the story that he is telling, they don't have to be as terrifying. Yeah. They might still be a little terrifying, but they don't have to be <laughs> ultimately terrifying, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, speaking of the pattern of reality, mm-hmm. um, you you talk about the idea that you say the liar can't be touched because what the liar, the, the, the self, the liar presents is not the true self, not really them, not really them. And so even if, even if that false self got touched, I still didn't get touched. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and such an important insight from the story of the woman in the well, uh, that, that you, uh, discuss is, and, and I, again, I, I think this is so relevant to people who do creative work, mm. um, is the idea that um, we have to push through the pain of telling the truth about who we are. Mm-hmm. And once we do a, just a little of that, mm-hmm as you said, the, the, the face that faces us is a, is a smile and not a, mm-hmm. uh, and not a frown. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we, we tell a little more truth and <laughs> we, we get to hopefully a place where we stop relying on uh, falsehood to get us through. Mm-hmm. And then we have something to say yeah. as a, as a person who writes or paints or performs music. Yeah, I was just listening to Marcel Audio Journal yesterday, and it was an old interview from 2011. And I cannot remember the guy who was being interviewed, but he was an author. Um, and he said, "I write in hopes of feeling connection, in hopes of feeling I'm looking for to be with people in these mm-hmm. stories." And I, I think in order to do, in order for that to really happen, there has to be truth because. Lies aren't real. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Lies are not reality. And so if you make your life up out of lies, then you, you're not really there. And, yeah. and so I want to show up in this sense to my own life because I, I don't want to be a non-entity made up out of papers. <laughs> I want to yeah. be touched because I want to be touched. I want to be, I want to, be, I want to embrace and be embraced. I want to be with people. I want to, I want to really be here and I want you to really be here. Yeah. And, um, and I think you can see in that story, the woman at the well, that there's an, an evasiveness through, throughout a lot of her, in that encounter where Jesus is mm-hmm. saying, I'm here, I'm here for you. If you ask me for water, I'm happy to give it to you. I'm right here. And, uh, <laughs> she's, she's playing some games and she's kind of knows how to do that. But, um, but yeah. And, and I think that, there was another story I read about this in the book to, to one of the intros 
that uh, in college, a friend of mine, we went up on the top of one of the dorms one night and we were laying out under the stars, two or three fellas. And he confessed something really, really hard, really very vulnerable. And I was surprised that the feeling I had towards my friend was not repulsion. It was actually, oh, there's more of him for me to mm. love. Now that I know this, something about him has become more present and available to me. And I'm mm. sure it was scary for him to open up in that way, but it ended up actually bonding us even more. Yeah. And we're still friends 20 years okay. later or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but in the writing process, I think that is that can be very scary. And, um, and there's always the difference between throwing out the rope and then just dropping a big <laughs> rock in somebody's lap. You know, there's <laughs> inappropriate yeah. shaking, of course. But Yeah. And uh, in writing, by the way, really does lend itself to lying if you want to. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I can present a self, I, you know, <laughs> When I'm actually interacting with people in real life, they get a good idea of who I am. But when I'm writing something, a lot of editing, I can present whatever self I want to. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. And so I have to resist the temptation to lie. Yeah. It's like being funny. You know, you can, you think of all the funny things to say later. And like, <laughs> uh, but in writing, like you can take the time to think of them and then people will think that you're actually funny. That's right. But, um, I think you are actually funny, Jonathan, though. So. Hey, thanks. Yeah, no problem. But you're right. Yeah, you can you can present and edit and clean all that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, craft demands that to some degree. Sure. But. Um, well, you're always going to be a little bit smarter, a little bit better version of yourself in writing, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But hopefully you're within within the range of what yourself is. You're on the more clever, you know, <laughs> insightful range of who you actually are. Right. And then there's all, you know, uh, George Saunders talks about uh, the, the idea that you, in writing, somehow tap into a, a suprapersonal wisdom. Oh, interesting. Right, that, you, that you actually are. Like if you're not, if you're smarter than your novel or, or your, your essay, you might be in the wrong business <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that, that in, in the process of writing, you are tapping into something that's beyond you. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we, uh, when we admire Tolstoy for his, um, for his moral gigantism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what we're really admiring is, Tolstoy, something that was a, a, a little more moral than Tolstoy. And if you, right. if you, you know, I mean, Saunders quotes some, some of his wife's diaries about what a jerk oh. he was. Oh. And, and you realize, oh, yeah, this, this person we admire so much. Or, you know, even uh, in um, Bruce Springsteen's one man show, you know, he said, people, people are always like, oh, I sure would like to be Bruce Springsteen. And he goes, yeah, so would I. Because <laughs> the Bruce Springsteen that he presents is not. Bruce Springsteen. It's, I mean, it's, it's the character Bruce Springsteen. And then there's the guy who has to, you know, go home to New Jersey and, you know, right. do whatever he does in New Jersey or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, I think that is a fascinating thing. Um, I, 
I've experienced that that well going back to the idea of limitations like we we are we always have a lot of uh, plenty of good reason to uh what Paul talks about like rightly estimate yourself you know think is it um mm-hmm. Romans 12 I can't remember he talks about you know have a have a right estimation consider yourself rightly you know and so like we always have a lot of reasons to do that but at the same time one of the amazing things about being in Christ is that we are in, we are inside of something more than us. Mm, yeah. And, and so, and, and we're participating in a reality that is beyond our limits, that is much yeah. larger embraced by that, which means that if we make stuff and we are honest and we can really show up and, and tell the truth and be touched and then make things out of that place, then inevitably those things will become more than we could have meant for them to mean. They could be, they will become more than we ever could have made them. Yeah. That is so good because we're plugged into something that is more than us. And then it's okay for us to be limited. We don't have to pretend to be the origin of all everything amazing. Yeah. We return to our origin and participate in his life. Does that make sense? That is good, Matthew. I'm glad we didn't end this five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, that's also part of what collaboration does because you are participating yeah. and you're inviting other people to uh, make real contact with these patterns of reality and to make things together. Mm-hmm. Then, then all kinds of things open up and, and become possible and beautiful uh, in those relationships. And, and take really- take two minutes to talk about uh, a, a little of how collaboration made this project, only the lover sings the the book and the and the record better. Oh, it, it helped. Oh gosh, there's so many ways. Um, yeah, but you only got two minutes, so I only got two minutes. Let me go. I, I got kind of tired of just hearing my own voice, and I've, I've the last few years, and this is very influenced by. Lancia Smith at Cultivating Project involving me in that, Diana Glyer in her work. But um, I really wanted to do this project with somebody. And so I invited a bunch of essayists to not analyze or critique the songs, but to cooperate with the songs, to respond and enter into the story with me and write. I left it pretty open-ended and said, you know, write what you would like to write. And so then I got to find out all these other angles and ways that that the this story and these songs and other people were experiencing the love of God, the smile of God, that gladdening light, you know, <laughs> and uh, in ways that I wouldn't have thought of. And then I got to be surprised, and uh, and then for the first time in my life, I hired an editor. Ah, and even that experience was, uh, yeah, um, Elizabeth Adams. Uh, edited and uh and i could feel in a very real tangible way i could feel the writing get better Mm. (laughs) yeah and she would say well this sentence should be up here and not down there and Uh these were you don't need these words and she was so gentle and and it was just a wonderful experience i'm like why i will never go back and even visually this this is so beautiful the cover and and the interior design Tell me about that. Who, who? Yeah, there's a guy that I worked with about 10, 
10 years ago, I made an album called Bright Came the Word from His Mouth, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a sort of translation into song of Sandy Richter's book, Epic of Eden. Okay. And and this I found this guy on Etsy. Really? Named Eugene Fraud. Yeah, I just scanned Etsy for a couple of days and found this guy's work just jumped out at me. It was so beautiful and wild and imaginative and interesting. Um, And he's a guy, a Russian guy. Really? Lives in, he lived in St. Petersburg. He actually recently had to kind of escape. Huh. Um, so he's not there now. But yeah, he. I called him up and I said, hey, would you mind? I would love to work with you again. We hmm. kept in touch a little bit over the years. And boy, he just, I love his work. He, yeah, that is so he interesting. Lives. It's gorgeous. Yeah. All right. We better wrap this up, Matthew. Okay. Uh, real quick, yep. although I have to give you a minute. I mean, you're you're so widely read. You, you so many good good things that you pay attention to. So uh, I do have to end with the the. I can't skip uh, the question: Who are the writers who make you want to write? Who who's who's really affecting you right now? Right now, um, I, well, I'm in a little writing group back home. We we're called the uh, the Draftlings. <laughs> Double entendre. We often bring bring beer and but we also just share drafts of things and that was kind of came from the bandersnatch you know at diana glyer but we've been meeting for over two years now consistently and That's honestly great. like some of my friends in that group are mm-hmm. are the people who you know my friend sarah has is going back through a third draft of her first novel you would love it actually it's very much a she's very much a southern gothic uh-huh. She's a Henry O'Connor fan. Um, a guy named Rex Bradshaw, who who wrote one of the essays for the this mm-hmm. book. He actually wrote the last essay. So a lot of those guys yeah. are I'm reading their stuff. And then Rex is a reads everything. And he, he recommended a book uh, called Between the Embers and the Stars. Okay. Which is a philosophy book, but it's different. It's beautiful. Huh. Um, and I've been reading that. Uh, who's the author? Do you remember? It's a um, Czech name. It's er- Erazim Kohak. I don't know how to say the name, uh-huh. actually. I haven't heard it pronounced yet. Um, and then Kate Bowler, I've been listening to her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And Joy Clarkson, actually. I read jo- Joy Clarkson's newest book, uh, uh, Aggressively Happy, is so fun and winsome i love winsome uh-huh. i think is the right word uh, she's kind of like a female chesterton i think <laughs> well matthew thank you so much matthew clark um it's always a pleasure to talk so good to be here thanks so much Jonathan. the habit podcast is brought to you by the rabbit room where art nourishes community and community nourishes art to check out more of our podcasts visit rabbitroom.com slash podcast. Our work at The Rabbit Room would be impossible without the generous support of our membership. If you'd like to learn more about membership at The Rabbit Room, visit rabbitroom.com slash member. And thanks for listening. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.